I see Red Road and then I, I sing it like Night Moves by Bob Seger. Mm. Walking down a red road. I'm, yeah, every time I watch Red Road, it reminds me of why I don't miss Scotland. It reminds me of how I do because all the junkies are so nice to you, typically. No, they're not. They just stop. Talk you about how big my boobs are and they're just so pleasant. It's nice. Oh, look at those jugs. I remember that. Yeah, me too. Hated it so much. I like it when people are nice to me. Okay, so we're recording. Yeah, I mean, the the only other person that hates doing this as much as me is the dog. Yeah. (laughs) Joking. I'm I'm hilarious. Why would I want to... uh, become the absence of anyone's life with this quality of humor you need to be quiet because a woman's about to talk <clears throat> yeah hush up man okay the patriarchy still exists you know that right not in this house <laughs> shut your hole yeah i wish i could make a joke about it but that's 100 percent true right carry on it's your your Thank right, you. five <laughs> four i don't need a countdown <laughs> okay Well, hello there. Welcome to On The Beat, the podcast that uncovers full frontal male nudity in cinema. My name is Laura, and I am joined by my co-host, Ryan. Hello. Hello, Ryan. Uh, Hello. (laughs) Thank you for being quiet while I introduced the podcast. Yeah, I wasn't quiet earlier. I might keep most of that stuff in. Great. So... (laughs) I'm I'm very excited to talk about the 2006 psychological thriller Red Road, a film that I've heard about, a film that I had not seen until we watched it for the podcast, a film you've seen several times, and a film, I, I gotta be honest, I loved. Yes, um, I'm trying to think of like, is there, there are maybe a handful of nice films set in Scotland. I think this all is the ones one of them. I... <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love yeah, it. Okay, I mean, as, as films go, like this one's... No, I mean, I don't know. You're not at any point going to see in the uh, the universal version of uh, Red Road um, Kate Dickey taking a condom that's full of semen and then inserting it into her vagina. <laughs> so, like as a ride? Yeah, I mean, probably not. <laughs> Like if it was, I meant like the universal rated film, like as in like it was like the Disneyfied version. Oh, I thought you meant like no, a, an amusement ride, park ride. Where they give you a used condom and it's like, right, yeah. this, is, this is the next part of your... I'm wondering how you could make that into some sort of you need to convince thrilling the, amusement. You need to convince the staff member in front of you who's dressed as a policeman that you've been raped. So the rape allegation goes through. Is that the universal ride? I think of it more as perhaps an escape room where you have to look at the CCTV cameras and you got to pick the right one. Anyway, I should introduce what this I mean, movie's that, about. I mean, that's the sort of ride that <laughs> needs a uh, height restriction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a, a house at Halloween Horror Nights, perhaps. It would be fucking terrifying. I mean, to be honest, there should be uh, a horror house um, that is just set in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Really, because, yeah, I mean, if you take this with a, anything of, like, a grain of salt. The thing is, like, it's so, like, when we were watching this film, it's so instantly recognizable. Because everyone comes up to me and goes, Scotland's very pretty. And I'm like, 
I don't know, man. Like I've I've lived there. Like it's terrifying. <laughs> it is, but it's also gorgeous if you leave the city, and there's no people around. Uh, yeah, but we've also done a fine job of like fucking up the countryside as well, sticking up all those those flats, like you know, like the red road flats that we see in this movie. Um, that are kind of just a blight on the landscape, and that's kind of one of the reasons why. They were torn down eventually. So, so let me let me just run through our cast for this beautiful film. Uh, <laughs> I love this movie. Uh, it stars Kate Dickey as Jackie, Tony Curran as Clyde Henderson, Martin Comston as Stevie, Natalie Press as April, and Paul Higgins as Avery. And this is directed by Andrea Arnold. And this is the first time, but probably not the last time, we will be speaking about her. Okay. So the synopsis for this film that I pulled from Letterboxd is, Jackie is a CCTV operator. Each day, she watches over a small part of the world, protecting the people living their lives under her gaze. One day, a man shows his face on her monitor. A man she thought she would never see again. A man she hoped never to see again. Now she has no choice and is compelled to confront him. Okay. Yeah, it's maybe a little bit overlong. It's overlong and actually tells too much. And I didn't read the synopsis until towards the end of the movie, actually. Yeah. And I go, oh. The film does a good job of like spoon feeding you bits of information when you need them. I kept, Um, yeah. So it makes makes what obviously happens or like pervades certain moments even more horrific. I felt like I was missing bits of information. I kept asking you, wait, who is this man? What has he done? He seems like a really nice guy. And you go, he's not. I go, he's he's like a good looking dude and he knows how to take care of a woman. So (laughs) I think he seems okay. Um, I want to just point out in the beginning of this episode that if you haven't seen this movie, you should. Uh, You can find it streaming. Um, It's so good. And there's so much of it that is so incredibly surprising that you wouldn't expect um, that we will spoil hard. So You're just so... do yourself a, a favor and a treat. And and if you haven't watched it already, just don't listen to this and you watch should, it. You should, as a rule, now that we're almost 60 episodes into this podcast series, you should know by now not to watch the movie until you've listened to the episode. We've learned our lesson. We've stopped like doing current films that were kind of new out and stuff like that because yeah man well for one reason no one would watch them because they'd have to go see the film then watch the airplane listen to the episode and stuff like that so with this at least you can you can watch the film well before you you uh listen to the episode but yes she's right specifically for this film because I loved it so much and it was such a surprise. Every little thing that happened. I love this movie. See, I like... It's like like really incredibly messed up, but so endearing, but also horrible and fucked up. I I just... I loved every second of it. I just don't know if I'd ever use the word endearing talking it, about I this film. I think it is. And we will we'll get into it. It's so incredibly dark. You told me a million times before starting this that, oh, just strap in. It's a it's rough gonna ride. It's going to be a rough ride, yeah. It's a rough ride. I thought it was lovely. It's pretty, geez, oh. It's really <laughs> making me think about like who I've married. Um, <laughs> what I've married. Um, 
Well, let's get into Andrea because if you know, I don't think I don't think anyone who's who who is familiar with her work will be at all surprised with the subject matter of some of her films. Some of her films are pretty; they're kind of rough. Yeah. I think they're pretty rough. Um, but we're talking about Andrea Arnold, Andrea Arnold OBE. Um, if anyone wasn't wasn't aware, wow. Um, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> she's an English filmmaker. Uh, she was a former actor. Um, she's been active since the 1980s. Uh, she, let's say, she first came to prominence as a filmmaker when she won the Academy Award for her short Wasp, and that was in 2005. And that effectively paved the way for Red Road, which came out in 2006, as an effectively her. Uh, her directorial debut. But the one thing I will say, and this is quite impressive and probably makes her slightly more impressive than uh, some filmmakers of her ilk, uh, certainly more so than uh, Jane Campion, um, oh God. <laughs> is Red Road in 2006, Fish Tank in 2009, and American Honey in 2016 have all won the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes. Holy shit. Yeah, so... That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Out of out of yeah, out of the pan- she's a she's an interesting filmmaker. I've always enjoyed her stuff. I think her stuff's pretty cool. Um so other than that, um she's also directed four episodes of the Amazon Prime series Transparent that was in 2014. Oh. Um or at least it debuted in 2014. I don't know if it's still ongoing. I didn't I didn't really watch any of it. Um uh, but it I think it George was George Bluth in it, right? Yeah, I was going to say it's that George Bluth uh, <laughs> TV show. Doesn't he play? Doesn't he play like a like a woman? Doesn't he play like a transgender woman? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, she did direct all of the episodes of the HBO show Big Little Lies, which was 2017 to 2019. That's probably that's probably bigger than Transparent. I think that's a I think that's a super very popular show, Big Little Lies. Honestly, haven't seen it. And I didn't realize that she directed that, and I'm going to watch it. Yes, um, like I say, I think I think her stuff's uh, highly enjoyable, and it's 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 riveting stuff. So, let's go through her filmography from start to finish. Now, I've already listed pretty much like sixty percent of it. Um, her filmography is not extensive, but let's just kind of put it out there first. So, she debuted with her original short, which was called Milk. Um, in 1998, um, which I always thought was weird because it also reminds me of a short film that's also called Milk that came out a few years either after or just before by a director called Peter Mackey Burns. And I don't know if we'll cover any of his work. Um, I'm yet to see his other feature film that he's made recently. But Peter Mackey Burns was a tutor of mine when I was at university. Um, So that's why I kind of brought him up and he also has a short film that went and won, I think, the is it the Gold Lion. It's like the Gold Lion at, at Berlin Alley, um, which was the, the 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 short film award for for that. But he had a film called Milk, and I just bring that up because Andrea Arnold has a short film called Milk that came out around about the same time in two thousand and one. She has another short called Dog. Then obviously Wasp comes out uh, and wins the Academy Award. And then Red Road in 2006, Fish Tank in 2009, Wuthering Heights in 2011, followed by American Honey in 2016, Cow, which is a documentary from 2021, which I'm really interested in seeing, 
And then she has a new film coming out called Bird in 2024. Cool. So that will be interesting to see. And also I have down here as a small note, uh, she did direct four episodes of I Love Dick Show in 2017. And I have no idea what that show is. I Love Dick Show or a show called I Love Dick? A show called I Love Dick. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) Yeah. So I Love Dick show. Uh, Sounds like something I would like. (laughs) Maybe. It might just be a romantic comedy with a guy who's also called Richard. I wonder if it's about Dick Van Dyke. Mm, maybe. It seems outside of her well, scope. Chim of chimney, chim chimney, chiru, eh? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I found out that this film was part of the advanced party scheme, and it's something I was unfamiliar with up until this point. It is a concept of three films following a set of rules proposed by the executive directors who were Gillian Barry. Lone Scherfeg and Anders Thomas Jensen. And the concept of this came out of chats uh, that were had between those executive producers and Lars von Trier, who, uh, as, as we know, was a founding member of the Dogma 95 movement. Yes, I met one of the founding members of the Dogma 95 movement when I was in Berlin for some seminars and stuff. I can't remember his name because that's almost, what, 20 years ago at this point? Hmm, okay. So, yes, but I am, I'm, I am aware, and certainly Lars von Trier. If I think about the dogma film movement, I think Lars von Trier for the most part, really. Because I think about, I think of like, the idiots. Like, that's probably the, one of the biggest ones that came out of that. Right. This is a jumping off point or an offshoot from that movement. Uh, the films that are in the advanced party scheme are, were meant to be made by different first-time directors and producers. So the executive producers created a list of characters and gave them backstories, which the three directors could use to build their own stories. Uh, The casting for all three of the films was to be done at the same time by um, each of the directors with the same characters and actors. So That's why it says it's based on characters by these two individuals at the end of the film, right? Correct. Right, that's interesting. So they all had to work together to build these worlds these three directors. Um, So Red Road was the first one, uh, followed by Donkeys in 2010. That was directed by Morag McKinnon. Yeah, I remember Donkeys. I've met Morag. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, And the third one uh, was meant to be done by Mikkel Norgard, but uh, from what I've read, it is reportedly in development limbo. So it never or has not happened. That seems unlikely to happen at this stage. At this point, yeah. Yes. Um, so we'll never get the full trio. Um, th- that's they're... interesting. Isn't that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it also, it also, to me, I mean, again, like you say it that way and you talk about the advanced, the adva- what was it called? The advanced party scheme or something? Yeah, advanced party. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like something you'd go to a town hall to... To fucking talk about with your uh, your county members. Um, it's not as cool as Dogma ninety five. No, it also <laughs> it also it kind of you know it might not it might not be that way, but also screams uh, the amount of elitism that I I faced when I was trying to make films and look for funding in the uh, Scottish film industry. So it kind of just goes to show how kind of exclusionary that the the system is over there by doing things like this so yeah i think from 
from reading about it, um, Andrea Arnold felt excited kind of about the confines of the project, but then also when she said she was talking to kind of other writers and directors, she felt a bit like a sham, like this is her, you know, this is her first, this was her directorial debut for feature. Yeah, also an incredibly restrictive uh, directorial feature. Certainly something like this that looks like it's been, it was it was shot on digital, um, it has a very low budget feel, but also I kind of think it adds to its appeal. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels incredibly restrictive. I didn't realize that this was the case, and I thought it was from an original story, but that just feels like it feels like there's a big difference between i think putting restrictive boundaries on a creative so that you get the best results as opposed to the creative putting those restrictions on themselves in order to get the best results so for me i feel like it it's a kind of weird imbalance when you kind of speak to me about about how this is a project that's been kind of engineered by a couple of executives um, and being followed through by a couple of other directors. I feel like you kind of get lost a little bit in the in the fog of it all. Um, they had ways of changing it around a little bit because when they were working together on these stories, because the three directors worked together, okay. and Andrea realized she needed two more characters, so they had to bring it up in the meeting with the with the producers and they said well the only way you can have two more characters is if the other two directors agree and add those same characters into their films i mean the hoops you'll jump through for film funding that just sounds like a bit of a nightmare but also this film was developed as part of the sundance institute as well Mm -hmm. so i don't really like that I feel like it requires further reading. So I'm kind of wondering, because certainly my my um, experience with uh, like the Sundance Institute and the directors and stuff who have gone through the Sundance Institute is that they go there with the prospect of improving their work and getting real on-industry insight from in-industry insiders and directors, producers and stuff to make better films so they're basically taking the scripts that they have i think tarantino is a really good example and i think he has some you know give or take i think uh you know his early work is is pretty you know pretty impressive um when he took reservoir dogs to the sundance institute um they definitely improved his work um far more for the better so i I am i am slightly i'm confused and i'm concerned just with kind of how this film comes to be. And I mean, to be fair, to be honest, only knowing that stuff now, and I've only seen the film a couple of times, I don't think that stuff really affects it that much. It's still a pretty impressive film with all of those restrictions that have been put on it. Um, And certainly it's the most successful out of the, out of the bunch that got made i.e. the two that got made out of the, the three filmmakers that were picked. So Right. So I don't really know. I think that's I think that's interesting. I also just I just don't know if I'm a, like I there's like there's that kind of nefarious like undercurrent about it where I'm just like, why can't you just fund the films that they, that you'd write and you're like, this has some level of commercial or like cultural appeal. 
um, which I find odd because it really doesn't paint Scotland in a fantastic light. This film, so I do kind of wonder about like the the cultural appeal of it. But uh, yeah, it's I don't know. Uh, it's odd. It's odd. It's an odd. It's an odd scheme that I feel like it is. So they they had some guidelines. I'm sure there were more than this, but it was a six week sh- week shoot in Scotland. Uh, they had a list of seven characters, and um, let's see. Oh, it was a million dollar budget. I mean, a million dollars or, well, is it a million dollars or a million pounds? It said a million dollars. So it's probably less than that then. Probably a fair amount less than than a million pounds. Um, Seems weird that it wouldn't be pounds since they all agreed that it would be shot in Glasgow, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that like, and not to, not to kind of put down, it seems like a Scots, like, it seems like a Scots, uh, initiative. So why wouldn't they, they grab from the pool of potential filmmakers that were already residing in Scotland as opposed to having to grab people from England to make Uh, films in Scotland? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that either. I'm not sure how they were picked. I know that Andrea Arnold was not familiar with Glasgow at all when she shot this film and when she planned it i mean it doesn't it doesn't show i mean you can certainly take some of the more industrial cities up in the north of england and transpose that to glasgow glasgow is very much of the same sort of ilk yeah um but yeah i do i do wonder about these initiatives and certainly red road you know red road got a fair amount of buzz i was in oh i was in college at the time uh, when I was studying in Edinburgh, this is before I went to university, but yeah, it was getting a fair amount of buzz because you had like an Oscar winner at the helm of this movie and, you know, it was utilizing a lot of the, uh, you know, the current Scottish talent and stuff like that and it was a lot kind of darker and things. But I think the problem was, was that it is, again, it's kind of following the same kind of stereotypical and kind of thematical ideas that we were seeing in Scott's film at the time as well, where it's all, you know, it's like small faces, it's like train spotting. Like, it's relatively quite, quite doer, and it's quite grey, and it's, you know, some of it has a little bit of a sense of humour, but for the most part, like, it feels, like, inherently quite violent, and it's urbanised, and everyone's impoverished, and everyone's upset and sad and grumpy, so... Is it because they keep getting English directors to go up to Scotland and shoot films? I don't know. I'm just because like... Because most of the ones that we have covered that are set in Scotland are directed by English directors. They are, but they're also written by... There's like Scottish writers. John Hodge is a Scottish writer. Yeah. You know, so he has a... You know, he, he was the best person at the time to adapt... Irvin Welsh's stuff and you know I do think that you know let's take Irvin Welsh as an example like that that material is incredibly dark and it's unforgiving but there is a dark humor about it which I think is very innate to just being a Scotsman being a Scots person and living in Scotland is having a sense of I guess gallows humor and when I was writing the tv show that was going to be set in Scotland that was a you know, for better or for worse, a comedy drama that, you know, really reflected the job as it was, you know, and that was just the way that you, that's just the way that you deal with it. So, There were you parts know. of this film that I thought were really funny. 
yeah, there's some there's some humor in this, and I feel like I feel like that's that's kind of an innate ability of of being someone from Scotland is that you're kind of surrounded by, you know, a kind of an injection of humor into effectively what could be perceived as like these relatively quite traumatic moments, <laughs> you know, or at least that's kind of how I feel. I've always approached these things that have happened in in my life. It's very relatable. I think that that is a great way to jump into this to jump into this bad boy. Um, okay. Before we do, I I was mentioning to you earlier that I recognize Kate Dickey while we were watching the film, and I go, "What do I know her from?" And I realized that she was Liza Aaron in Game of Thrones, and I felt good about remembering that. Probably her most well known role. Other than probably Red Road, there is probably other things that she's in, but it of kind course. of it kind of escapes me just now. And I mean, I can have a little look on my phone and see if there's there's anything else of of note. But there's a the, the the two main characters in this film or the actors are familiar to me. You know, Kate Dickey and then Tony Curran, who we all know from the third installment of the Big Mama's House trilogy. What? <laughs> <laughs> What's he doing? I don't like, know. What's he up to? Because he's in such great things. You know, he's in Shallow Grave. He's in Gladiator. He's in the sequel to Underworld, Underworld Evolution. Uh, he's in Miami Vice. He's in Outlaw King. You know, he's in some good stuff. I just wanted to bring up Big, Mom, Big Mama's House because that's funny to me. Um. Okay. For Kate Dickey, though, I mean, she's in The Witch. She's in. She's in The Last oh, Jedi. Oh, she's amazing in The Witch. She's in The Northman. She's in The Green Knight. She's in Prometheus. She's Jesus. in Filth. She's amazing. Um, yeah. And there's a bunch of. There's a bunch of other things. Yeah. I mean, it was. I, it wasn't surprising, but I, it was. I also don't want to compare her career to Tony Curran's either, because we've already mentioned. Oh wait, hold on. Tony Curran. So he's in. Uh, Thor The Dark World, Gladiator, X-Men First Class, Tintin, the Spielberg one, Blade 2, uh, he's in Pearl Harbor, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Telling he's, you he's right also, now. He's also in a movie that I quite enjoy, that I don't think anyone else really enjoyed, Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> I remember you watched that without me one day and With I was Vinnie very Jones. upset. Uh, I would like to watch that. If you want to watch it, I could quite easily watch that tonight. Uh, directed Hell by yeah. right, directed by Ryuhu Kitamura or Kitamura, sorry, who uh, How long also, is that movie? I think it's like an hour and 40 minutes. Oh no, it's an hour and a half. Oh, Perfect. No. Okay, so 98 minutes. So it's about an hour and eight. But I mean you have I'll allow it. Yeah, but you have to deal with Bradley Cooper. Bradley Pooper. Because he's in it he's in it for the entirety. So But it's it's Bradley Pooper from before he was wicked greasy. So I'll allow it. I don't know. It's got Vinnie Jones in it. So, I mean, I don't know who, who's complaining about that. Let's be perfectly honest. We have got to talk about this movie. We do. <laughs> I don't know where your notes start, but I don't start my notes until that very first sex scene in the van. Oh, That's really? when I, st- I don't have a lot of notes. I was just enjoying it. And I was just writing things that, that came up. Like came to me. I mean, we can we can kind of we can kind of dance around a little bit. I mean, a lot of what it is is like, I mean, quite a lot of my notes are like, oh my god, like isn't Scotland fucking scary? Oh my god, what a <laughs> shithole it is! Like all this sort of stuff. And you know, like there's the underlying thing with you know with like a lot of these council estates as well as that 
you know, and I think the film gets it gets it right. And I've visited a few of these estates for like either filming projects or because like I knew people who lived there and things. And the same thing applies. Like it, it is low budget housing, mostly council housing, and you're sharing it mostly with. Uh, you know, most of the time it's with ex-cons um, or just people who can't afford to move. Now, that, eventually... that's how they were when it got into, like, the 80s, 90s, and so forth. But when they were yeah. originally constructed, like, specifically the Red Road Flats, which are real, yes. were constructed between 1964 and 1968. And it did provide more of an upper kind of class, not upper class, but, you know, a middle class housing. And people were finding it better than what they had access to before. So it was like an upgrade. Um, But that particular building had a lot of problems, especially just those type of like block housing had a lot of problems because it did become more of a hotspot for... It's just a breeding place for crime. Yeah. It's it's like antisocial crime. uh, It was like disaffected youths. They were like throwing stuff from the roofs and a lot burgling houses that particular building also became a hot spot for suicides um yeah it's not unsurprising but the thing is is that they wouldn't put bars on the windows because then it becomes a fire hazard because those those buildings and like in general they're uh, yeah they're they can be death traps if the you know if a fire goes up so well, there was a lot of controversy in this building. We need to talk about this movie. But okay. I wrote notes about the building because there was controversy over the use of asbestos in the building. The architect who designed the building said, steel and asbestos operate as the collective that stabilizes Red Road and holds it together, albeit provisionally, as a viable, safe housing solution, uh, which in 1977 caught fire and the structural integrity of the building was compromised. Great. Yes, it Great. was condemned in 2008 and was torn down between 2010 and 2015. Yes, and think of all those heartless folk who fucking died from asbestos poisoning or asbestos-related uh, illness before that, that yeah. happened. Um, yeah, the I will say, though, that the estate, at least that what they've chosen... Because, you know, let's talk about... They they are a character in of themselves, really. I mean, that, that estate has a pervading sense of of threat and of a forebode. It's um, so big, and it's such a statement, um, yeah. kind of in the skyline, in this kind of... It's a modernist, brutalist building. So it's quite it's quite striking. All of them, yeah, from even, you know, certainly in Glasgow, Aberdeen, Dundee, uh, Edinburgh, because, um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those, uh, they've they've tried their best over the last, say, 10 or 15 years to really clean up those areas and try and make them lucrative. Because the thing is, is the minute you start cleaning up those areas and you start bringing in, say, more expensive housing, you bring in another you know, a different class of person and then that effectively has a slight purifying element to the to the community. Um but yeah, I will say that like the the buildings and just the way that the locations and stuff are characterized really add a nice I say nice, I say they add a really great um like they cast a real dark shadow over the over the story of this film. Yeah. Um and certainly that is that is very much what you get is a very dark and 
you know unforgiving landscape that that the film is depicting here but it's very much a kind of mystery story where you know Kate Dickey who plays Jackie is the CCTV operator and she spends her time watching watching people on a day-to-day basis obviously reporting on crimes and stuff more importantly but she, she always sees... watches that particular area that's her area right they've is all, the red road they've flats. all been assigned districts so they're obviously not being jumped about and stuff too much so i guess you get to know your area pretty well and your characters yeah yeah so you'll see the same people walking around and stuff like that so she'll see you know she sees an older man who's got like a dog who's a little bit poorly um she'll see a cleaner that works in the same uh same building every time and uh see kind of her story as like this kind of, you know, all these like silent experiences. And the thing is, is that she knows them, but they have no idea who she is. Very voyeuristic. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of how that is set up. And I guess there's a she's kind of... Uh, getting like these relationships almost with these people and she hasn't... They, they will never know who she is. No. And this is a weird kind of counterpoint. Until she inserts herself into their lives. I guess, yes. Um, but this is a weird kind of counterpoint to the film that we covered previously, where I feel like this is so much more of a kind of uh, slightly more accurate and a slightly more interesting perspective of someone who spends their time watching you. I wouldn't say necessarily that she's a voyeur. It is her job. But... but- that is our job to watch people it, it becomes, and to keep people safe. But it, the main thing I would also say is that she's using her role to give her an advantage into this ploy that she's hatching. That we're kind of slowly being, uh, kind of slowly being introduced to, kind very, of over the course of the story. Very slowly. It's a very slow. You do not know no. why she's doing this until the end of the film. Pretty much. Um, you get hints. I am also kind of wondering how many times over the course of the 60-something episodes that we've done can I say cinema verite? I wonder. We should start counting. Or maybe we'll Probably have should. someone uh, who listens to the podcast do it for Unless us. someone had their cinema verite bingo card out, is Ryan going to say it this time? Well, you've already said it twice. So. Um, I have. Um, <laughs> Tell <if> me more. <laughs> there's, a real, there's a real kind of... I can admire the film's simplicity. You know, certainly like the title design, the way the film is shot, um, the general style of it. It's very much, you know, it's all shot handheld. It's all relatively quite close on kind of short lenses. It feels like very pure filmmaking, but it also feels like it's a film that's been made very fast and certainly on a on a budget in very real locations with very real people for the most part. So... It does have that going for it and that it does feel very real because it feels quite tangible, which also kind of adds to the to the level of suspense in it, which is uh, yes. this kind of, you know, kind of uh, building as the film goes on. Yeah, every time she levels up this situation that she's in, it had me screaming. I was very nervous about her choices. Yes, yes. But... She doesn't have a boyfriend when we first meet him, which is played by Paul Higgins. And you'll remember Paul Higgins from uh, The Thick of It. He plays oh. uh, <laughs> he plays the scarier version of Tucker, um, right. a character called Jamie McDonald, um, who they're more scared of than, obviously, uh, Peter Capaldi's character in that thing. But Avi and Jackie are shagging. 
Yeah, that was the first thing I wrote. Uh, I go, sex scene in the van, broad daylight, so slow, cute dog roaming free. So that was the slowest, most awful sex scene I've ever seen in a closed car. It was disgusting. That guy was pumping like at a quarter speed of what he should have been at. And then he just finishes. And doesn't he ask her if she finished? She's like, yeah, earlier. Yeah. How? She did it earlier. Lies. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> probably I mean, it, it's more of an insult than anything else. But what this film does do, and I think the film does a very good job of, is making sure that you know exactly why there are used, spent condoms everywhere in Scotland. Yeah. There really are. In real life, there are just condoms, condoms. everywhere. On the ground, in the grass, just everywhere, in phone booths especially. Yes. Tons. There's just condoms. Every, Left, if you right open a phone center. booth in Scotland, there, there's a condom in it. Yeah, probably. And 100%. Yeah. And certainly if it's on the phone receiver, that's seen as like a, like that's a special moment. You don't use the phone, obviously. Like, <laughs> you don't touch the condom. You don't touch a phone booth. No. It's a sex booth. Of course not. Well, you shouldn't be using the phone booths anymore. I don't, well, obviously, no one uses a phone booth anymore for anything other than than sexy time. Ugh. But, uh... Gross. Here, look, at least they're all being safe. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Good for them. I'd rather step on a used condom than, um... <laughs> hmm. Maybe don't go there. No, maybe not. <laughs> No, I did oh think I was gonna say like like human shit, but then I'm also like, but then you've got like semen on your shoe. No, no, I think no, I'm good. I'd rather probably have semen on my shoe than poo, because you could wash that off easier than poo. The poo will get stuck all in the groove. It's really of yeah. Your shoe. I, yeah, I mean, I guess you can rinse it off. I'd rather step in cum than a lot of things. <sighs> yeah, I don't gum. know. That's a real. That is a real head scratcher. I'm not gonna lie. You don't agree? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we've brought. I've brought poo and semen into this. Into ice this cream. Account. I wouldn't want to step on that. Okay, that's much better though. I think ice cream is better. Biscuit, it's chocolate biscuit. Yeah, I was thinking like a slice of pizza. Oh yeah. Like if you step then on that, then you would slip and fall probably. Probably. I don't know if you would slip and come. Okay. Well, it's still better. <laughs> Then they use you would slip on the condom, though, as well, Johnny. so that's also dangerous. You would. But it's in the phone booth. You don't, you don't have to worry about it, usually. Anyway, Jackie's life continues on as this, uh, this spiraling story continues <laughs> in that she's watching this man, Tony Curran, who she knows exactly who he is. We're just not really privy to exactly what he's what he's done. We there, just know there he's There is a newspaper. There is kind of other things. He is an ex-con. Don't know what he did. Yeah, we're not 100% sure what he did. And he's I mean, been it, released. And she doesn't like it. She's not happy. And she's she's looking to fix that. Um, you don't really get uh, any much of an intel into her life as much. Only these little sprinklings. She's not close to her family. No. You kind of get a hint that her husband is gone. But you don't really know if he's gone or if he's perished. But she's still wearing a ring. She's still so wearing it's a ring. Of, so you, yeah. yeah I, but you don't exactly know what is happening. But no. she becomes obsessed 
with this gentleman. Yes, who we now know is, uh, his name is Clyde Henderson. Yeah. Um, but she continues to watch him, and Clyde is hanging out with uh, two younger folk, a guy called Stevie, which is Martin Compton, and Natalie Press, who plays April. And they live in the same flat um, on the Red Road estate, but they're kind of like a trio, like they hang out with each other. But certainly, like, you know, there's schemey stuff going on. And I say schemey stuff, I'm like, at one point, Tony Curran, like, Clyde brings back, like, a giant log um, from somewhere, and he's, like, dragging it into the into the stairwell and stuff like that. And we find out later why he's brought a log in, but I'm just like... Because he's a good guy. I mean, it's like, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Like, here we are. Like, here we unpack home. You know what I mean? Like, I'm seeing this shite. Um, well, he's a van that's a locksmith and... It looks like it's just a blue van and they've painted on the side of it 24-hour locksmiths with fucking Clyde's number on the side. And I'm just like, they're looking to rob houses. That's basically what that means. They're just going to start robbing houses. He looks like he's painted on that thing on the side of his car. But Certainly, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He's a good guy. No, well, we do find out later. Stevie's Stevie's okay at breaking into people's houses, like for whatever reason. Stevie's he's able a, to well, do he's it. Well, he's completely unhinged, bad boy. Oh, Stevie's mental. Yeah, Stevie's off his head. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's just so rough, so rough, so unbelievably rough. Well, she escalates this. The next thing I have written is how she shows up at a party in their flat. Terrifying. I was freaking out because she just has a bag with some bottles in it you know to drink to bring to the party but when it's she goes into the flats she gets into the elevator she ends up in the elevator with stevie and april who she hasn't met yet but she's seen on the cameras am i wrong well we're just not we're not sure what she's after you don't know what she's doing you i didn't realize she was going to the party but she goes to the party she says to stevie she she's like I, oh yeah, I know Clyde, and they're like, oh, okay. All, all, you know, they're all, all lies, like where they met and stuff. And the thing is, is like Stevie's asking these probing questions, and he doesn't believe her. He yeah. does not trust her in the slightest. But there's this overarching sense of like no one believes her, and I'm just waiting for the moment where they're like. He's pretending to be nice because this has happened to me. Is like they pretend to be nice to you, and then they fucking pounce on you. And like Stevie's, Stevie's a wee, you know, he's a wee scheming bastard. Like he steals her purse. He's he's derogatory towards her. He's asking her all these questions. He doesn't believe her. Well, and I'm just like, I mean, I'm just like, well, she's putting herself into this potentially very dangerous situation i've been at parties that look like that where someone just like pulls a fucking dog out of their jacket and the and dog's running around blasting oasis and blasting fucking and you go, oasis oh, no. i'm like oh. i gotta get out of here it's like i better put down my bud light well, like i need to go morning glory uh, if, there's, if there's anything like like that'll ever make me think about fucking scotland is like someone's there with a bowl cut and he's like rocking his shoulders back and forth, and he's listening to fucking Oasis because Oasis is their favorite, is their favorite band of all fucking time. Yeah, welcome to Scotland. That party um, didn't seem like a bad party, but 
It made me what just sort of parties her, have you been to? I don't know. Everyone's like dancing and singing and there's drinks and there's a little dog. Rough as fuck. Sign me up. Yeah, okay. I like it when everyone's dancing. Oof. But she goes to dance and ends up dancing with Clyde. I yeah. couldn't. I, I forget that she saw him earlier when she was stalking him in a cafe. And you saw her there. 50 pence for a cup of tea, though. That's no bad. Yeah, she didn't even I would take 50 pence. She didn't finish it, no, because she was incensed. She was but, sto- hard stalking. But Clyde was there because he knew the, the lassie <laughs> who was working there. Because we'd seen Jackie watching on the CCTV Clyde shagging her outside. And this was another moment where another discarded condom just ends up in the... Uh, Ends up in the grass somewhere. But we saw, yeah, we saw her and it's, uh, I don't know, what was one of her lines? Um, Are you going to say it in that voice? <laughs> yeah, the exact way that she fucking says it. <laughs> so she brings over like a breakfast or something to Clyde and she just goes, Then they say I'm no nice to you, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm no, I'm no laugh, I'm no laughing at her. Like, I've met plenty of folk talk like that over the years and stuff like that but i was just like you damn pal (laughs) (laughs) same thing but yeah he's uh he's a womanizer this clyde like he's good with the ladies and that's that's kind of his reputation is that he kind of goes around like shagging so (laughs) yeah that's kind of his thing um but you know like like I say, the information is being spoon fed to us, so it's kind of like I'm like, no, he's not a nice guy. You're like, oh, he's lovely, and I'm like, no, that's what they're all like in Scotland. Sorry, but like, you know, they they'll be your best friend, and then they'll stab you in the fucking back. He's, you know, uh, he's charming <laughs> for a ginger, right? Ugh. <laughs> yeah, Stevie says that as well. He's charming <laughs> for a ginger. Eh? Gin- well, no, he says he's charming for a ginger cunt. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. He is. So, he is. Well, I mean, he is. But he is also. He is also trying. It's just. It's like he's a crimbo. That's what I wrote down. It's just he's a criminal and a bimbo. It's just like the the setting, like the atmosphere, like where we are and how impoverished it is, and like you know, there's a sequence where, you know, a poor wee girl gets stabbed and stuff, and she's watching on the CCTV and things. So like you know, you're surrounded you know, by criminality, you know, like, that's all it is, like, there's a lot of horrible things going on, so you're always slightly on edge, and anyone who's ever found themselves, like, I guess, like, you know, in the US, if you walk through the hood, or if you end up on one of these fucking estates back in Scotland or England, you're immediately on edge, because you know you're unwelcome, so this is a kind of... If you're in... Oh, and I'm not going to say it. I don't well, want to make anyone mad. It's like this, per- <laughs> like this pervading sense that like you don't belong there. Like you have nothing to do with this place, and certainly you'll be you'll be told otherwise if you do end up sitting there. So, you know, it's uh, she ends up going to the Broomfield, yes. the Broomfield pub. I mean, for honest, and she for all cuts honesty, out of work. Yeah. She cuts out of work early to do it as well. He goes, oh, I don't feel well. Because she's watching, she's watching Clyde on the video. Yeah, and she sees them go into that pub. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I would. I mean, I would do what she's doing for a pint of tenants. Honestly, it looked great. I would, yeah, a nice cold pint. The barman seemed nice enough. So nice. Yeah, they so, look like a nice place. 
to have a drink. <laughs> it's one of those. It's like a, yeah. It's like it's like what one of our friends calls it, like a Daryl pub. Like it is. Yeah. Uh, there was a place. There was a place no far from where you used to live called the Scotsman. Absolutely. And there's another place a little bit further up from it in Edinburgh. Anyway, uh, it was called the Grapes. I went into the Grapes once, and it was like it's fuck. It was fucking terrible. No music on. Nothing like me. Me, my pal, and a couple of old men who'd been there since midday. And this was eight o'clock at night. And it was, uh, it's rough. Like, you just, you know you're not welcome. You know you're not fucking welcome. When we walked in, you weren't there that night, but when we walked into the Scotsman, it was like a record scratch. Yeah. Everyone stopped in sequence, all at once, turned and stared at us, uh, all shaved heads, all with a pint in their hands, and just stared at us. And I thought... I would rather be anywhere else right now. I just wanted a drink. The thing is, those places are, they're few and far between now. And I feel like they're a dying breed, like the old booze are, you know? Yeah. And certainly, like, you will get, you will get, like, that type of place. But it's, like, in lieu of the fact that they're not, they're, like, they're modernized to a degree, you know? They don't have the same, like, it's like, oh, we haven't changed the pipes in, like, 50 years, you know, that sort of thing. There's a um, lot of places around in Orlando that are getting kind of fixed up or gentrified that aren't as frightening as they used to be, which is a bit of a shame, in a way. It is a bit of a shame. Um, Some of them are still slightly frightening we yeah. don't you don't go into the biker bars no but you but, but you sometimes are you welcome can. in a biker bar yeah which is weird um but yeah i feel like i don't know i feel like Ooh, i went to that bar in in daytona beach where um oh the 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 serial killer oh the eileen warnos bar? eileen warnos bar Oof. and i think it's called the last resort it's called the last resort and they yeah. have just a cooler of of bottles and cans and when we walked in there, they were nice to us, opened us up a beer, gave us like a bumper sticker. And then there was a gentleman at the end of the bar that said that, oh, if you were in here yesterday, you would have seen a guy get stabbed. Yeah. And we, it, we were there at maybe one in the afternoon. So luckily it wasn't <laughs> teeming with criminals or anything. I mean, you still find, I mean, I remember there was a pub down on... Uh, near Haymarket. It was called the Spider's Web. And I don't know if it's the same place now. Oh my um, gosh. What a name. But yeah, that was a place where I saw a woman getting the shit kicked out of her by her husband at the bar. Oh my God. And then the, the police turned up. Um, so it does happen. A lot of stuff happens. Um, well, there's also a fight at the... What the, was this bar called again? The Broomfield. The Broomfield. Welcome to the Broomfield. That that Clyde breaks up between Stevie and apparently Stevie's father. <laughs> right? Because well, that was his dad. Well, the thing is, all of those pubs all look like that. Like, all of those out in, like, near estate pubs, they all look like that. With, like, the big metal shutters on. They've got no windows. Like, that. So, they all look like that. Yeah. They're the ones that they tend to replicate for the bars here in Florida. That are meant to be like old English pubs, you know, that sort of thing. They all look like that. Yeah. And the pints are probably about to shite. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is when it starts to get a little bit sexy. It's leading in towards what becomes the dick scene, guys. Here we are. I know are. it's taken us a while, but we're getting there. 
so this is quite, quite a scene. When this starts ramping up, a smile just came over my face. So they go back to Clyde and Stevie's place. Just so you know, obviously, Stevie has had a fight with his dad in the bar. But Clyde and Jackie have been chatting at the bar. And Jackie's playing, like, effectively, she's a bit standoffish, right? But to be fair, that's not unheard of for probably lassies going into bars like this. They would be a little bit defensive. Well, she's playing no a game, there. and she's being hard to get, but she knows exactly she what she wants to do. So, I mean, she's been stalking him, showing up at his place, going to his parties, watching his every move, and obviously she knows where he is, and... She she knows exactly what she's doing. Well, Jackie, we does, don't know. Jackie does make the mistake of asking him what's on Clyde's mind, and Clyde goes, "I'm wondering what your cunt tastes like." I started clapping. I think <laughs> when that happened, <laughs> I was like, "I'm fucking so strapped in right now. <laughs> Let's go." See, I told you he was a good guy. He's a nice guy. If if anyone. He knows- how to talk to if a lady. anyone in Scotland came up to you at any point and said that to you. Yeah, but he's not, he's not like raw dogging that comment. She's been following him around. He's seen her a bunch of times. He, he didn't walk up to a stranger and say that. He's been... Is it because he says it with a level of charm? Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to... I wouldn't even test that, that thing here. Actually, I couldn't get away with saying it because I'd be well, like you weird. No. <laughs> 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 but he can. Um, <laughs> we poo, poo thumb. He had one of those like working man's thumbs that was <laughs> half a black on his fingernail because yeah. it's obviously gonna fall off. And uh, he was like he jammed he, it in a car door or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean he uses that thumb to do things in that in this film that I did not appreciate. <laughs> yeah, he did have a yeah. Aye, well, that thumb goes somewhere. Anyway, we end up back at their place. <laughs> Um, and Stevie's sleeping and stuff, and then they end up having a drink in uh, Clyde's room. From that bottle of whiskey she brought over when she was creeping. It's, um, aye, that's when she gets her, her wallet stolen and stuff like that. It's, yeah. when when you see the inside of the flat, because they've got, like, one of those, like, electric, uh, like, convection, like, heaters with, like, the, like, the orange glowing bars on them. And, and like, a space heater. Yeah, that's their only heating. Um... But then also, you know, it's very dark. There's not a lot of lights and stuff either. There's a nighttime. There's a distinct look of like the film. Like there's a lot of kind of uh, like flashes of color, like yellows, reds, uh, blues, yellow. Um, like uh, like there's a lot of like nice primary color use in the film as well. Because for the most part, it's pretty dreary looking. Um, but certainly by the time we get into the into the bedroom there's this nice conversation where they're talking about there's the foxes and anyone who's familiar with like edinburgh or glasgow or anything like that there is foxes everywhere yeah in london as well they're yeah. so cute and they hang out outside the pubs and so looking for snacks. loud so fucking loud yeah one of my favorite memories and i don't know if this is anything i've ever told you before Ooh. but i used to smoke and i went outside to have a cigarette and i was sitting on my steps and probably less than four feet away from where i was sitting um this little fox came walking down the path stopped and looked at me 
and then walked onwards. Adorable. There was a fox nest maybe 20 seconds up the road from where I used to live. They're so cute. They are very cute. I'd also say to you, don't go to pet them and certainly don't do what somebody that I once knew did before with a badger and uh, <laughs> decided to go into their burrow hole and then ended up getting bitten. They ended up going on a going on a uh, uh, they had to go on like a rabies uh, they had to go on like a rabies uh, medication yeah, no program shit. thing for like months. So that's what you get for being an idiot. Yeah, yeah, very, very silly. Anyway, back to the sex. Back to the cunnilingus. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of like. I mean, I I do have. I've written it beat for beat here. <laughs> you did okay. Well, I only have cunnilingus, and then right to it. Well, let's do let's do this differently then. Okay. Let's see. Let's see how. Let's let's do the lot of examination of 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 like let's get the female perspective on some of these lines because I've only got Tony Curry's like I've only got Tony Curran's lines here I've only got Clyde's lines here you know I'm gonna like them so so <laughs> wait but but this is the hold on the lines that he says is it leading up to the sex part yes okay so before that I want to talk about when he goes downtown but this is this is. This is before that happens. Okay. So he goes, you have very nice breasts. Uh, 10 out of 10. Okay, good. Um, well, you're a sexy fucking bitch. Oh, 11 out of 10. <laughs> and then he starts licking those nips. Remember that? Yes. yes. Um, I would say 8 out of 10, um, if not for that thumb. Okay, that's good. And then obviously that's when he goes down on her okay. after that. So... That, okay. <laughs> you guys, it's getting heated, all right? This whole, and I don't know how, getting I mean, all hot and kudos, kudos to everyone involved. Tony Curran was only there one day for the scene, no rehearsals, <laughs> and he got it fucking taken care of. He gets her trousers off. She rips off her shirt, right? He gets right in there. And... He's just looking up at her. He's going to town. And apparently, I'm getting really loud. My apologies. So, he, so that. <laughs> so, are, are you okay? You I'm, gotta, I'm okay. I've got to turn bit. the fan on. So, <laughs> so that whole going downtown kind of lingus scene, um, what they did to kind of achieve it. So, because it, it looks like he's going at it, right? Oh, it's. it's there is a there's an insane amount of excruciating detail. A lot of noise. <laughs> it looks exactly what you think it would. Yes, and you get that female POV again, oh, yeah. ten out of ten. Yeah. So what they did is they put half a pair in between her legs. What? Yes, a pair, and then he just went to town on that pair. <laughs> he just went for it. <laughs> that's insane. And then just angled the camera just right, and that's how you get that. Just half a pair. Half a pair. But then it's like, isn't it resting on her vagina? Yeah, it's probably set in there. Like, <laughs> she's, yeah. There's no way that he's no also, like, getting a wee yeah, bit of... Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, he's probably kissing I was some think, fanny. I was thinking about, I mean, you could get a big pair... 
she's not a big girl. I like mean, you could probably put a decent sized pair there and and achieve that. But <laughs> just scream at the props, guys. Like we need a big pair. I mean, you don't have intimacy coordinators. In, no, at this time, and you are on a one-day shoot no. with a one million dollar yeah. budget. Uh, <laughs> she's probably just like, it's fine. Um, I don't know. I mean, they yeah, they deal with it. I mean, you don't know the pairs there, um, no. and obviously, it's you know, you don't you want it. You want to try and mitigate as much tongue to vagina contact as possible. Because I think I think at least certainly now like they use kind of like hidden pants and stuff, yeah. So that it still looks like there's something there. But like you know, we've done things like lust caution and stuff, where it's like you're like it's like that's that's a dick going in a vagina. Yes. You know, so at least at least with this, like you know, they're cutting around it, they're angling it properly. But to say it was just a pair, I thought it was just like a kind of like fleshy sack you just kind of put down there and. Like a flesh balloon, and you just give it a wee kiss. From my research, it's a pair. There you go. What a pair, they would say. Um, so we're coming up to it, and I have—I know you have a couple lines that you want to say to me. Um, of but at around a minute, 26 and 40 seconds, we're getting into this moment. Yes. Drum roll. It's the dick scene. So after he's finished with that pair. Yes. He says a couple of things. Well, she she comes, <laughs> doesn't she? She came. She sure does. She because comes. Because this is a nice man. This is a good man. He's sorting her out before he gets his goods. So he's a gentleman. Yeah, he is a gentleman. He's getting it seen to, and then he's going to get himself seen to, you know. I mean, for most men, the foreplay is the best part. I, I would agree with the ladies, probably. Yeah. Same. Um, I'm agreeing with the men as a man myself. Wonderful. Who mends it. Um, anyway, uh, so like after he finishes up, he goes, I want to fuck you. He goes, and then Jackie's <laughs> like, like, I want you to say it again. Say it again. So say it again. He's like, I'm going to fuck you. And I start clapping again, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I start clapping again. And then this is where we see what can only be described as an erect penis. Pretty much. He's getting a condom, he's ripping it open with his teeth, and he's going to put it on, and then we see what can only be described as, yes, an Ladies erect. and gentlemen. Penis. A penis. And this is where the voyeurs in our last episode failed us, because that is what we needed to see. I mean, here we are. Technically, well, I will say this, it's not as, it's not as on show as the erect penis in Under the Skin. Not by a long shot. No, it's covered by a hand. Yes, um, but you do see, you do see that shaft, but you don't see the head. Yeah, all shaft, no head. Yes, all um, shaft, no tip. But it was striking because we don't get that very often. You and especially these days, if you try to put an erect penis on screen in your film, you will get barred, banned. You're gonna get an X and C seventeen rating, and good luck having your movie out there, which is stupid and ridiculous. But here we are. But uh, in in the vein of you know the honest side of the filmmaking, um, it's really in keeping with the general tone and griminess that the film 
has in general. Like this entire sex scene is like very in keeping with the overall tone and style of the film as well. For sure. Yeah, and in, in, in terms of honesty, one hundred percent it is Aye. it is there. But uh, you know, we see it. It's not particularly pronounced. He's obviously got, you know, half of it covered and stuff, you know, to the point where you know, there's there was disputes at the time of whether or not it was actually his correct um, so in interviews uh tony curran is deliberately vague when discussing it and he said quote well i guess you saw what you thought you saw and uh he goes on to say it's like that scene in fight club where a big penis flashes up on the screen and no one even notices it yeah. was an erect penis yes but then again it's a piece of art it's not pornographic if the audience think it's an erect penis then that's a good thing. If you thought it was an erect penis, then that's exactly what it was. It wasn't a banana. Let's just say it's all down to the magic of cinema. I mean, unless we have definitive proof otherwise, we just have to assume it was his. So, Yeah. Um, and Tony Kern's mom was sitting behind him at the, at the screening of the film. Lovely. Well, I mean, she's, yeah, she's probably <laughs> seen it before. Probably not erect, but uh, she's probably seen it she's before. She's 100% seen it before. Yeah, she's probably seen it before. Um, because he was also in Rome. Oh, well, Rome is... is Don't even get me started on Rome. <laughs> Fuck HBO. <laughs> Fuck HBO and their prosthetic penises. What a bunch of liars. But uh, they finish having sex. It's very... It's very... Um, it's very brief, I guess. He gives her a little apology. Gives her a little apology. He's been in jail, you know? He has been in jail. But also... Yeah, I think, yeah, this is kind of what it was all leading up towards. Yeah, everything starts coming together in an incredible series of events that is intriguing and wild and unexpected. So she leaves the house, she leaves the bedroom and obviously... Swipes that condom. Swipes the condom, but Clyde's pretty pissed off. And he's just like, you're only here for a fuck, all this stuff. And then she leaves. She goes into the bathroom, takes the semen out of the condom, and then inserts that semen into herself. She squeezes it out into her hand like a... a, Tube of toothpaste. Yeah. (laughs) And and I was like, she's trying to have a baby. (laughs) Which I'm like, it's not going to work like that. (laughs) But I was wrong. Um, Also, she had grabbed a rock off the street earlier, Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I didn't know why. And then, and then she takes the rock out of her pocket in the bathroom. (laughs) Smashes her face. (laughs) I once again was screaming. I did not know what she was doing. And then you yell, "She's gonna get him done for rape!" Yeah. I'm like, no, this is not good for me too. You're gonna accuse him of rape. Not good. Not Not good. good. Yeah, not good for the Me Too movement. No. Um, No. Um, But yes. uh, Yeah. uh, That was insane. And so she's kind of utilizing the CCTV cameras that she had been using to stalk Clyde. Yeah. She rips her shirt, rips her pants, runs out of the flat straight towards the CCTV camera. Yeah. Yeah. so she's gathering her evidence um, and then calls the police. Yeah, aye. And then uh, that was that was her plan all along, effectively. Um, but the film the film isn't the film isn't over from there. Um, effectively, like her getting him done for an attempted rape, she ends up dropping the charges, but she seems to have this strange moment of 
clarity. I mean, there's that horrible moment where she's looking at her old daughter's things and she, like, stuffs her clothes with other clothes to hold this effigy of her dead daughter. Correct. So what you do realise is that Clyde, Clyde was driving under the influence and he crashed into a bus stop and effectively killed Jackie's husband and daughter at the same time, effectively ruining her life. And he did go to prison, and it'd been 10 years or so, and he's now been released. And she thought to herself that he shouldn't have been released, and so obviously made up the the accusation of rape uh, in the best possible way that she could have in order for him to stay in prison. But effectively, they're able to... I guess, like, there's a weird kind of reconciliation that happens. Yes. And it's kind of incredible, the whole thing. It's it's as though she needed to do it. She needed to confront him and just... Because she's never come to terms with the loss of her family. She's living in the same flat. Everything's kind of gone to shit. Her family life has gone to shit. And she's using this really horrible thing and this horrible scheme to come to terms with this horrible loss that she's endured. Um, And luckily she decided not to uh, fully press charges against this man who did not rape her. Um, But yeah, it was kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I guess, as everything kind of comes full circle, she's able to reconcile with the man who's effectively on the straight and narrow and he's getting to know his own daughter that he's never met before, all those sorts of things. And uh, she's able to reconnect with her family members who are also, I think, the people that we meet at the end of that film are her uh, her, uh, her dead husband's uh, parents. So, like, her, uh, you know, her parents-in-law, technically. Um, and then also... Uh, she gets to see that, like, you know, life moves on and you're able to kind of... She sees a man whose dog was poorly, who he had to put down, now has a new dog. Um, And it's this My kind of... My heart was warmed. It's this nice symbolic image of... Uh, of her being able to, to move on with her life. So, isn't that the way it goes? Accuse a man of rape. Get your life back. Get your life back. <laughs> I have one more thing that I wrote down that I didn't get to say yet. So so in the initial outline for the rules of the film, the initial outline for this particular character, Jackie, um, is described as 34 years old, has lost her only brother, her husband, and their child. Habitually, she maintains a relationship with a married man, and she gets just enough intimacy to avoid shutting herself away from the world. Right. So I, I so kind no, of... No, yeah, some of that stuff stayed, but the rest of it didn't. Um, well, I'm sure maybe she lost her only brother, but they didn't write it into that, into the screenplay. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's kind of not needed at that point either. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Again, strangely restrictive as well. And yeah, I don't know if like those level of story restrictions make the best... Uh, story at the end of it as well yeah I, I mean I think you already mentioned that this film won uh, the jury prize at Cannes yeah and special achievement by a British director at uh, BAFTA Film Awards 
Best Screenplay at the BAFTA Scotland, and a bunch of, I mean, she won a bunch of things for this. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes, great. Do you want to get into the ratings? Do you have anything else you want to say before we wrap up this amazing no, film? I literally said everything I wanted to say. Wonderful. Other than Other than there's like, there's a budgie in the film as well. There is. And the guy who owns the budgie says, oh, he just doesn't like women. He doesn't like strangers. Right, women's, women's freak him out. <laughs> and I was like, all right, okay. There we go. Um, as for ratings, are we going with the, the penis scene first? Do you want to go first with I the penis scene? I will go first. Uh, in terms of visibility and context, uh, I gave it a two. Yeah. Uh, because it's not there for long, but it does kind of hold and hinge on that shot for an extra beat or so. So it's not that really quick... Uh, blink and you'll miss it type of thing. I, I'm pretty sure you're going to see it. And within the context, it is 100% honest and makes sense to be there in terms of especially the balance between the nudity in the film, in a sex scene especially. Yeah. So you get the balance between Jackie and Clyde. He's putting on a condom. You see that occurring um, within this kind of insane, wild sex scene yeah uh that's pretty intense and that is a two you just don't see it in in full it's you know it's a full side half side male nudity Jeez, oh right um so i mean i would also kind of add to that i maybe give it like a two and a half because we only see half of it um <laughs> But contextually, kind of tends to bump it up a little bit, I guess. So it does; it stays at like a two and a half. But like, yeah, like you're right. It's you know, it's uh, it does hold on there for a wee while, and it does kind of work contextually. And I would be again, it's nice, it's brave, and it's honest in its depiction because, for the most part, that's that's how it happens, guys. I mean, you're you not know, putting a softie in there. You know, thumbing in a softie. That's not <laughs> how that works. Um, so, you know, it makes it makes sense. And it's the only other one that we've covered uh, thus far since, uh, obviously, Under the Skin. Because, uh, yeah, Under the Skin, it made sense. He had a bit of a stoner. Um, yeah. And then he fell into the black, the black abyss. Um, but, uh, yeah, in this, I did like it. And it's, all, it's in keeping within the kind of tone and style of the film as well. So I kind of, I appreciate it for that. Anyway, ratings of the film, I think. Five. I gave it five stars as well. I. Um, it's so refreshing, especially for people, I was gonna, people like us. You've seen this film before. But for someone, people like us who've seen, you, you feel like you've seen so many movies. And because it's our, it's our joy, it's a hobby, it's, uh, it's something that we like to do in our free time. I love watching films. I love going to cinema. I want to... I want to eat it all up. I want to see everything. I love watching movies. And and to find something The cinema, new, Cinemacron, we'll call you. I'm going to eat it up. You're just like, yum, yum, Cinemacron. Yum. That's cool. I like that. I'm going to put that on my letterbox bio. <laughs> Nerd. But I love when you see something new that you've never seen before that just blows your brains. It's so interesting and dynamic and fun and fucked up and and kind of gives you or, or me most of the things that I like to see in a film and it was really horrible and heartwarming in a horrible way that 
you don't get often. And it, I enjoyed it so, 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 so much. So much. And it's not that long. That is wonderful. So five I mean, stars. I would, I would watch this again. I love I love this movie. It is two hours long. So I would say it is long. It doesn't it feel long. Fr- it doesn't feel long because it's actually interesting. That's the difference. Um, but yes, I would also, I mean, I give it five stars. It's, uh, yeah, I guess like as a contrast to you that I think it's a terrifying film, um, (laughs) set in a very scary part of Glasgow. Um, and it reminds me a little too much of how scary home is sometimes. Um, and growing up in Scotland, um, because people are pretty scary there, but like like you say, I think there's like there's a real human element that that maintains there that kind of uh yeah that kind of gets itself out of the shadow of the of the industry like the industrial uh, the industrial structures that kind of uh pervade the landscape in the film as well so there's a real like i just i don't know I think the first time I saw it, I maybe didn't appreciate it as much, but now obviously I think it's yeah i do i do really uh i do really enjoy it and I do think it's very well felt very well written very well casted film and when certainly you tell me about like the restrictions that were put on it creative restrictions and and very commas um you know it does it does kind of make me think that. Uh, it's quite miraculous that the film turned out as good as it did. So, in different hands, this would have been it could have been a complete disaster. Yeah, but she was able to construct such a fascinating story and shoot it so well with yeah within those restrictions that were given. Yeah, and and just tease you like crazy the whole way. But you don't even feel teased. You just are wanting to know more. And it is suspenseful and and pretty freaking thrilling, really. Yeah. It is shocking. Yeah. It was genuinely shocking for me. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, thumbs up all around. Well, great. I'm glad. Now we can finish up. We can. We can end this thing. You guys, I hope you enjoyed this movie as much as we did. Loved it. Loved it. Coming to you from the Broomfield pub. Ugh. <laughs> it's carpets and it's sticky. <laughs> I've been Laura. Ryan. And I'll be watching you on the CCTV cameras. Uh, Purple. <laughs>